Hello, good evening, welcome to the From Every Tribe podcast. I am going to be starting a short series, it's only going to be about four episodes or so, where I'm going to work through certain parts of Martin Luther's small catechism. I gave a little bit of an intro to my background, and that would be confessional Lutheranism, and I said in that episode what our confessions of faith are, and our confessions of faith is called the Book of Concord. And uh, in the Book of Concord, we have many different writings. We have some different authors, Martin Luther being one of them, but Martin Luther did not write all of the Book of Concord. Uh, Philip Melanchthon, Martin Luther's disciple, if you will, wrote a couple of books. It's not just one author. In the Book of Concord, we have multiple books, and one of those books is the Small Catechism, written by Martin Luther, and so I'm going to be working through a couple of sections, four sections. The first section is going to be the Ten Commandments. The second is going to be the Creed, the Apostles' Creed. The third is going to be Baptism, and the fourth is going to be the Sacrament of the Altar. Okay, so at the very beginning of the small catechism, we have a preface before we get into all of the articles and topics that Luther touches on. He gives a preface to the small catechism explaining his reason for even creating the small catechism and the purpose for creating the small catechism for writing it. And so it starts off with saying... Martin Luther to all faithful and godly pastors and preachers. So Martin Luther is writing to all faithful and godly pastors and preachers, grace, mercy, and peace in Jesus Christ our Lord. And then he continues on. It kind of takes a sharp left turn. The deplorable, miserable condition which I have discovered lately when I, too, was a visitor has forced and urged me to prepare this catechism or Christian doctrine in the small, plain, simple form. Mercy, good God, what manifold misery I beheld. The common people, especially in the villages, have no knowledge whatever of Christian doctrine, and alas, many pastors are altogether incapable and incompetent to teach, so much so that one is ashamed to speak of it. Nevertheless, all maintain that they are Christians, have been baptized, and received the common holy sacraments. Yet they do not understand and cannot even recite either the Lord's Prayer or the Creed or the Ten Commandments. They live like dumb brutes and irrational hogs. And yet, now that the gospel has come, they have nicely learned to abuse all liberty like experts. So, he starts off giving a little bit of an introduction. (laughs) Clearly he's upset. He is upset because all of the people who are claiming to be Christians and learned in the faith, they cannot even repeat and recite these very basic doctrines of the faith. The Lord's Prayer, the Ten Commandments, the Creed, these are very basic foundational things. And if you continue reading, if you get your hands on a copy of the small catechism, you can continue reading through his preface that he thinks children, children should be able to recite these very basic doctrines from their heart. They don't, they they can just 
recite it from memory. They should be able to memorize it. And so Luther has a very, in this world's eyes, a very radical view of being able to recite and to quote and to explain the Christian doctrine from memory. Uh, He thought that children should even be able to do this. He continues on, Therefore I entreat and adjure you all for God's sake, my my dear sirs and brethren, who are pastors or preachers, to devote yourself heartily to your office, to have pity on the people who are entrusted to you, and to help us inculcate the catechism upon the people, and especially upon the young. And let those of you who cannot do better, if any of you are so unskilled that you have absolutely no knowledge of these matters, let them not be ashamed to take these tables and forms and impress them word for word on the people. And so his goal with the small catechism is being able to summarize the faith in a way that common people, preachers and pastors and even children, will be able to to know the faith, memorize it, be able to recite it, be able to explain it from their heart. And that is his purpose for reading the small catechism. Uh, And that's his preface to it. Now, moving into what the commandments are, there is a difference in the order that these commandments are given than in the way I personally have grown up to know the commandments there is a slight difference in one of the commandments and if you know your commandments you may hear it you may hear the difference so i'm just going to go ahead and read the commandments and maybe you'll hear it you shall have no other gods before me you shall not misuse the name of the lord your god remembered the sabbath day by keeping it holy honor your father and your mother You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, his manservant or maidservant, his ox or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Now if you caught the slight difference, you'll see that the second commandment, especially if you're reformed, you're going to recognize that the second commandment for Luther is not the second commandment for the Reformed camp. The Reformed have bro- what what I personally think, and I don't think this is wrong. I'm just trying to explain. They've b- kind of broken the first commandment up into two. So the first commandment is, you shall have no other gods. And then the second commandment, for the Reformed, and honestly, for just the common... Because I grew up learning this, and I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I think this is pretty standard. The pretty standard, common way of understanding what the Ten Commandments are. The Second Commandment is, uh, you shall not have any idols. Um, Whereas for Luther, the Second Commandment is, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. So there is a little bit of a difference. Luther incorporates the second commandment for like like the way I grew up learning it, the way a lot of people grew up learning it. I do think that's the more common way of understanding it. He takes the you shall not have any idols 
and it's kind of in, it's included in the first commandment and you shall have no other gods which i personally think makes sense i think that makes the most sense is the first commandment you shall not have any other gods that kind of comes with the thinking you shall not have any idols it's almost like saying it's pretty much saying the same exact thing there's no reason to break it into two different commandments because it isn't two different commandments it's basically the same as that commandment now that's one difference the other difference is since you have the first commandment and the second commandment for the more common way from what i understand the more common way of understanding what the ten commandments are and reciting them since you have that brought into one commandment well now do you only have nine commandments are there only nine commandments well no luther still has ten commandments so what he does is with the ninth commandment and the tenth and the tenth commandment, seeing the way that I grew up understanding what the Ten Commandments were, was there was only one commandment, you shall not covet. With Luther, you shall not covet is broken up into two different commandments. Now, they're both commandments of you shall not covet, but the ninth commandment says you shall not covet your neighbor's house. And the tenth commandment says, You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, his manservant or maidservant, his ox or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. So those are the two different ways. Luther isn't saying anything different than what pretty much everybody else is saying. It's still the same ten commandments. It's just numbered a little differently. Now, getting into each commandment by themselves... Um, Luther doesn't jump straight into the Ten Commandments. He gives this little one-sentence preface right before he starts getting into the Ten Commandments. He says, As the head of the family should teach them in a simple way to his household. So right at the forefront, we see Luther's purpose for this small catechism for the Ten Commandments and how he's giving them. The purpose of it is for the head of the family to teach these things in a simple way to his household. His goal is to make this simple Christian teaching being able to be learned, memorized, recited from memory to common people, to households, to husbands, to wives, to children. That is his goal, so that everyone would not just say that they're Christians, but would actually be able to give you what Christians believe, be able to recite it, be able to recite the Ten Commandments, which we're going to look at, and then going on to the Creed and going on to the Lord's Prayer. Now, that is the purpose of this. He wants the head of the family to teach these things. He wants the head of the family to know these things. And not only to know them, but for the head of the family to be able to teach these things to his household in a simple way. So starting with the first commandment, the first commandment is, you shall have no other gods. At the beginning of every single commandment, Luther asks a question, what does this mean? He asks a question, and then he gives an answer. His answer for, you shall have no other gods, what does this mean? He says, we should fear love and trust in God above all things. So something you'll see Luther do a lot. Uh, he does this with every single commandment. 
he answers the question, what does this mean with the Ten Commandments, each and every one of them, including the ones that say, you shall not do something, you shall not do something. Luther answers what it means to not do it with an action, with an, with a affirmative action. So like you should do something in order to obey this commandment of not doing. So you shall have no other gods. The way you obey that law of you shall have no other gods before me. The way you obey that law is by actively doing something, affirmatively doing something. And that is we should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. So I, I really like this. It's not just a matter of not doing something. It's not just a matter of not having any other gods. The point is, God, it, you, you fear and love and trust in God above all things. And that is how you have no other gods before him. It is by actively doing something. And you'll see this coming up again in every other commandment. You respond to these do not commands by doing something. And so in this first command, you should fear, love, and trust in God above all things in every situation in your life, in all of your actions that you do in life, and all of your common repetitive things that you do in life, going to your job, coming home from your job, paying your bills, sleeping, eating, drinking, all of these common things that we do every single day in our life, not just the extraordinary thing, not just the big decisions that we have at specific points in life, even in the very common things that we do in life every single day, the very mundane things that require no mental effort to do because we've been doing it all of our lives. Even in those things, we should fear, love, and trust in God above all things and you could also say in all things and through all things and so that is the first commandment the second commandment is you shall not misuse the name of the lord your god that is how my small catechism words it you could it's totally accurate to say it the normal way you shall not take the name of the lord your god in vain they're both saying the same thing what does this mean? And Luther says, we should fear and love God so that we do not curse, swear, use satanic arts, lie, or deceive by his name, but call upon it in every trouble, pray, praise, and give thanks. So we have a do not very clear in the commandment you shall not take the name of the lord your god in vain you shall not misuse the name of your god that is obviously we when we are speaking when we are working when we are going about our mundane things in life again we should be making sure that we are not cursing swearing using satanic arts lying or deceiving by his name it's very very clear but then there's that little bit of there, there here, here comes the affirmative thing that we should be doing in order to obey this command that is but call upon it call upon the name of the lord in every trouble pray praise and give thanks
So the way you honor God's name, the way you do not take take his name in vain is by doing something. It is by when you use God's name, when you call upon it, you honor his name when you use it. Where his name is, you are honoring it. So you call upon his name in every trouble, pray, praise, and give thanks. So that is what you should affirmatively do in order to not take his name in vain. The third commandment is remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. What does this mean? Martin Luther says, we should fear and love God. Notice in every single commandment, he always starts illustrating what the commandment means by saying we should fear and love God. If we go back really quickly to the first commandment, if we recall what it, what it was, you shall have no other gods. What does this mean? We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. I think it's very clear that in Luther's mind, the first commandment is present in every single commandment that follows it. For having no other gods before God, to do that is to obey his commands. And I think that's very clear in Luther's mindset because we should fear and love God so that will appear in every single one of these commandments. Now the third commandment, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. His explanation is we should fear and love God so that we do not despise preaching and his word, but hold it sacred and gladly hear and learn it. So when we go to church on Sunday, we should not be going begrudgingly just oh i wish i could stay home sleep in play video games watch tv we should be excited to go we want to go i love god i love his word i love his sacraments i want to hear it i want to learn from it i want to be taught and i want to grow in knowledge of god and what he has said that remembering the sabbath day by keeping it holy is something that we do in our minds and in our hearts not just going to church consistently but it is why i get up and go to church i want god i love him and i love his word god's word is truth his law is holy and good i want to go and i want to hear it i want to hear the preaching of his word and i want to receive his sacraments and that is why i get up to go to sunday i don't just get up to go to sun i don't just get up to go to church on sunday just because that's what i grew up doing no, I need to remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy in my mind and in my heart, not just with my physical presence there in a room full of other people. Now, the fourth commandment, I'm just going through this really quickly because I don't want to take a lot of time on this. The purpose for this is to be able to explain this in a very clear, easy, concise way. Very short explanations, very good explanations. And so the fourth commandment is honor your father and your mother. What does this mean? We, we hear it again. We should fear and love God so that, again, the first commandment being at the core of every single commandment that follows, we should fear and love God so that we do not despise or anger our parents 
and other authorities, but honor them, serve and obey them, love and cherish them. We hear again, honor your father and mother. How do we honor our father and our mother? We do not do something and we do something. That is, we do not despise or anger our parents and other authorities. Martin Luther actually extends this command, not just to your father and your mother, but to all authority figures, to the government, and to the laws of the land. He extends this honor your father and your mother, and, and we see this as a scriptural command. We see the command to submit to the rulers that God has put in place. And so Martin Luther extends this honoring your father and your mother to all of your authorities that are over you. And he says that we should not despise or anger our parents and other authorities, but honor them, serve and obey them, love and cherish them. We should not hate our parents when we do something wrong and they take away something that we like, like our cell phone, we should not despise or anger our parents whenever they don't do something that we would like to do or they don't let us do something that we want to do. We should submit to them. We should honor them. We should serve and obey them. Love and cherish them. We should recognize their authority does not come from them, but it comes from God. It comes directly from God. And since God is the one whom we should fear and love, so also we should fear and love our parents and those in authority over us. And this personally does hit to me because, and I'm sure it'll to all of those out there who have jobs and who work with people who are your bosses, people who are in authority over you, they may not always treat you the way you may want to be treated. They may be harsh sometimes. They may be unfair sometimes. Or maybe you have an amazing boss who doesn't ever do that to you. Or maybe you have to go into your job every single day and get stressed out or you're afraid of your boss you're afraid of talking to them you're afraid of them getting mad at you or something that does for for luther for luther this commandment of honoring your father and your mother does apply that we should be recognizing that those who are placed in authority over us are placed there by god there is no authority on earth that is there outside of the sovereign hand of god having put them there so we should recognize that and honor them, honor those who are in authority over us, honor our bosses, honor the law of the land, honor our pastors and elders of our church. We should honor all of those who are in authority over us because God is the one who put them there and we are to fear and love God just as we are to fear and love God. We should fear and love those who are in authority over us and that will, that does include our not perfect bosses, but we should recognize we aren't perfect either. The fifth commandment says you shall not murder. What does this mean? 
Martin Luther says we should fear and love God so that we do not hurt or harm our neighbor in his body, but help and support him in every physical need. So again, we see a we should not do something, but we should also actively do something in order to obey this command, you shall not murder. Now, what we shouldn't do is obvious. We do not hurt or harm our neighbor at all in his body. But there is something that we should do in order to obey this command, you shall not murder. And what we should do is help and support him in every physical need. So if you see someone has a physical need that you are able to, that you, to tend to, if someone has a physical need that you're able to tend to or help or whatever you could possibly do for the person and you refuse out of selfishness, out of lack of love, for whatever the reason may be, you are hating that person in your heart and you're murdering them. You are murdering them in your heart. You're breaking the command, you shall not murder, because you are refusing to extend your help and your care to someone in need. And so, in order to obey this command, we not only should try and avoid doing something, we should not hurt or harm our neighbor, but we should also seek to help and support our neighbor in every physical need. We do not all have unlimited resources. We're all at different places in our life. Some of us may be able to help more than others, but we should all recognize that we should be able and ready to help those who are in physical need, who are in any need at all, that we should be willing to extend our hand and help to others. And that is how we obey the command, you shall not murder. The sixth commandment is, you shall not commit adultery. What does this mean? Luther answers, we should fear and love God so that we lead a sexually pure and decent life in what we say and do, and husband and wife love and honor each other. So in this commandment, Luther believes that the way we obey this commandment of not committing adultery is by actively doing something. The way we do not commit adultery is by fearing and loving God, again that continually comes into every single commandment, so that we lead a sexually pure and decent life. We are doing something. We are leading a sexually pure and decent life in what we say and do. So in our thoughts, in our speaking, in our doing, in our working, in our driving home, in our coming home, in our eating and drinking, again, all of this very basic mundane things that we do every day that does not require any mental thought or processing at all to do, this commandment applies. We lead a sexually pure and decent life in all that we do, in all that we say, and as well, honoring and loving our spouses and so not committing adultery is not just merely a sexual act 
It involves the honor and respect that you give to the opposite sex. If you're a man, not committing adultery involves the respect and honor in your speech and your conduct toward the other sex at all times. Same thing with women. You respect and you honor them as the opposite sex for who they are and you do not abuse them. You do not take them for granted in your heart, in your mind. You do not do that. You respect and honor them and you love them as the opposite sex if you are married. You love and honor your spouse in the way that you do with no one else. And for those of you who are single, you lead a sexually pure and decent life, not controlled by lust, not controlled by feelings of passion, but rather respecting and honoring the opposite sex, desiring their good and their purity, not your own fulfillment of lust. The seventh commandment is, you shall not steal. What does this mean? Luther says, we should fear and love God so that we do not take our neighbor's money or possessions or get them in any dishonest way, but help him to improve and protect his possessions and income. So we should fear and love God so that we do not take our neighbor's money or possessions or get them in any dishonest way. So if you, if you say you make like a deal with your neighbor or something like that, you made some sort of transaction agreement, but you did not give your neighbor the whole story on whatever product you're selling them, and you acquire more money than you should have at your neighbor's own ignorance, that seems to be, in, at least in Luther's mind, a breaking of this commandment. You recognize that the agreement that you and your neighbor came to was not... there was some missing information there. You purposefully withheld information. So even though with all the information that was presented in your transaction with this specific person, you've still broken this commandment even though you've not stolen any of their money you've still acquired their money in a dishonest way and so we need to make sure that we are dealing with others others people's money other people's possessions and we need to make sure we are dealing with it in a honest way in a way that is in a way that is taking into consideration our neighbor's own good and our our neighbor's own money and their situation in life. We need to not be after ourselves and our gain, but we must help our neighbor to improve and protect his possessions and income. Not to only think about ours, but to also recognize that our neighbors have a life, our neighbors have income, our neighbors have family, our neighbors have responsibilities. And so as a result, we should not be after our own good, after our own financial good, but should also take into consideration 
the situation that our neighbor is in financially for this command and as a result we deal with his money his possessions in an honoring way not in a dishonest way but we take into consideration their good and their livelihood and using luther's words help him to improve and protect his possessions and income the eighth commandment says you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor what does this mean luther says we should fear and love god so that we do not tell lies about our neighbor betray him slander him or hurt his reputation but defend him speak well of him and explain everything in the kindest way so the way this commandment is often summarized and it's not an inaccurate summary the way it's often summarized is you shall not lie that's true you shall not lie that is incorporated in this commandment but for luther it also it also involves how you treat your neighbor with your speech you do not betray him you you don't tell lies about him you don't lie that is certainly a very important aspect of this commandment but it's not all that there is it is you also shall not betray him you should not slander him so gossiping also comes into this you will not slander your neighbor talk bad about your neighbor and you will not hurt his reputation either you will not give false testimony against your neighbor so any testimony against your neighbor any gossip any rumor anything that is told by you that is a breaking of this commandment you shall not betray him you shall not slander him you shall not hurt his reputation so there's the do nots but again we have the affirmative thing we need to actively do and that is but defend him defend your neighbor speak well of him and explain everything in the kindest way that that is actually how we fulfill this command it's by doing something it's not just by not doing something it's not just by avoiding doing something which is obviously important but it is also by actively doing something and that is suppose you have someone come up to you trying to give gossip trying to start up a little conversation between you and you and him and there's some gossip happening and not so good things are being said about this particular person don't talk back and start sharing other things that you heard and start gossiping back and start sharing other reputation damaging things with this person don't get back don't get into that because that would be a breaking of this command rather if you hear something that is dishonoring to the person that is being talked about well defend that person speak well of him and explain everything in the kindest way so try and honor this person that even if this person did do something right uh, wrong even if this person did do something wrong still don't gossip don't try and damage their reputation don't betray them don't slander them but speak well of him and explain everything in the kindest way 
then that is how we fulfill this commandment of not giving false testimony against our neighbor. We rather affirmatively give good testimony, kind testimony, in consideration of our neighbor's reputation, his feelings, and his well-being. We explain everything in the kindest way and speak well of our neighbor. Even if they're not the best person in the world, none of us are the best person in the world. We still, in those cases, we treat our neighbor with love and kindness with our speech. The ninth commandment says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. What does this mean? Luther says, we should fear and love God so that we do not scheme to get our neighbor's inheritance or house or get it in a way which only appears right, but help and be of service to him in keeping it. So, we should make sure that we do not scheme, we do not plan, we do not try and orchestrate a way to get our neighbor's inheritance or house. So, take take an example, like someone just acquired an inheritance, like someone passed away or something like that, and that person gets a pretty nice pretty nice inheritance from this person who had passed away and you begin to covet that you wish you would have gotten something like that and as a result you try and scheme that person and to get whatever they got in a way which only appears right luther actually makes a distinction between what appears right and what's actually right and to try and get it in a way that looks honest or something like that. You know, I, I'll take that off your hands. You know, that you, you don't want that kind of responsibility. I'll take that house that you inherited off of your hands or whatever situation that would be better than the one that I just gave you, <laughs> which I know isn't that good. Um, we should not scheme or plan to get our neighbor's inheritance or house or get it in a way which only appears right but we should help and be of service to him in keeping it. So we should be willing to help our neighbor and be of service to our neighbor in taking care of their inheritance, of helping him with whatever he needs, of answering any questions that they have uh, to you about whatever situation that they're in with their, with their inheritance or with their house. We should desire and love our neighbor to be willing to help him in whatever situation that he is in with his inheritance or house rather than wishing you had what they had. The 10th commandment says, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. What does this mean? Luther says we should fear and love God so that we do not entice or force away our neighbor's wife, workers, or animals, or turn them against him, but urge them to stay and do their duty. So we should not try and entice or force away our neighbor's wife or his belongings or his animals or his workers, those who are his employees. We should not try and turn them against him. We should not try and cause strife to come about in his home and in his life. 
in order for you to try and get in a good standing with those that belong to him, his wife, his workers, and things like that. You should not try and damage his reputation so as to loosen the bond between his wife and him and his wife and his workers so that you could try and acquire it for yourself. You will not do that. You can't do that. But you should urge them. You should urge what belongs to your neighbor to stay and do their duty. You should desire his wife, his workers, his animals, all that belong to him. You should desire them to remain. You should desire, you should desire your neighbor to be blessed in all that they have for his wife to bless him, for his animals to bless him, for his workers to bless him. You should desire him to have a blessed life. And you should not desire to have what he has. So Martin Luther has something at the very end of his treatise on the Ten Commandments. He titles it The Close of the Commandments. And he asks the question, what does God say about all of the these commandments? And then he quotes Exodus for chapter 20, verses 5 through 6. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. What does this mean? Luther says, God threatens to punish all who break these commandments. Therefore, we should fear his wrath and not do anything against him. But he promises grace and every blessing to all who keep these commandments. Therefore, we should also love and trust in him and gladly do what he commands. So we as Christians who believe in God, who believe that God has spoken to us, who believe that God's word is true, and who believe that God's law is good and holy, we as Christians should not only desire to outwardly obey God's law, and we should not take God's law as burdensome, but we, we should recognize that God takes his law very seriously. God threatens to punish all who break his commandments, so God takes his law very seriously. He says, you be holy, for I am holy. And Jesus says, after expounding on God's law to the Pharisees, therefore you must be perfect, for your heavenly Father is perfect. So God takes his law very seriously, and so we as God's children, those who have been adopted into his family, so we should also take it seriously, not just seeking to obey them outwardly or part of the day or I'll, I'll pray in the morning and then I'll go throughout my day and I'll then I'll pray at night and then I'll go to sleep or any any of that. But to actually desire God's law, to love God's law, not to take God's law as burdensome but to find joy and happiness in God's law because God's law is where his will for you, the Christian, is found. And the great thing about God's law for the Christian is that the burden of the law, the curse of the law, is no longer on you. 
you are no longer under the curse of the law. You are no longer under the absolute necessity of perfectly obeying God's law in every way, shape, and form. Jesus has already done that for you, and he took your sins away from you, and then you, by faith, have received as your own Jesus Christ in his righteousness. And so the curse of the law is no longer on you, Christian. And so you, the Christian, can now go to God's law with no burden, with no obligation, but you can go to it with peace and joy, knowing that you've been reconciled to your God by faith in Jesus Christ. And now you can go to God's law and have joy and desire and desire to obey it and find in it God's will for you in your life. And the law of God now becomes a source of joy and blessing rather than condemnation and death. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of starting the uh, small catechism by Martin Luther. The next episode is going to be on the creed. I'm going to be going over the Apostles' Creed. Thank you all so much for listening. You can follow me on Facebook and Instagram at From Every Tribe if you would like to show me your support. You share this episode with whoever you think would benefit it. Thank you all so much for listening. God bless.